0: We're, we're, we're thankful that we can come and worship you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Give it up for Zach. Amen. I've been wanting to say this for a while. I went to Iowa State, graduated 21, all the way through Salt Company. What's up, Salt Company? Oh, my gosh. Guys, Keystone Youth would have blown you out of the water. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that, but guys, like I said, my name's Zach Johnson, I work here for Keystone, I work in the youth, so I work with the middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I'm super excited to be here. I grew up in West Des Moines, went to Valley High School, went to Iowa State, so really kind of been a central, yeah, Christian's my man, Uh, been a central Iowa guy, so that's kind of where I am. Uh, but Salt Company, guys, has shaped me as a man. And so I'm just really excited to be able to be, to be here, to be, to, ooh, I'm getting some feedback, so I'm going to step back for you. Uh, but yeah, excited to be here, excited to bring the message. Uh, and yeah, so with that, being a guest speaker somewhere always comes with its own like unique challenges, right? Because when I speak in youth, they know me. They've seen me like at retreats and things like that. And so it's, it's easier to speak to them because they know me, but y'all don't. So to help you guys know me, I want to tell you a little bit. I'm a man of hot takes. I'm an opinionated person. I'll take a hot take. I'll probably fight you on whatever hot take I can because it's fun. So I came up with three hot takes that have defined me throughout a lot of my life. The first one is this, and I might make a lot of enemies here. Barbecue chicken pizza is garbage. Uh, Genuinely terrible, thank you. If you put barbecue sauce on pizza, it no longer is pizza, okay? You're just putting bread Barbecue sauce, chicken and cheese on something. I feel like you fold that up, that's a sandwich. That's all it is. Barbecue chicken pizza, a disgrace. Hot take number one. Hot take number two, it might date me a little bit, but it was the first thing my wife and I argued about. Cereal is a soup. I don't know, cereal, soup or not? I don't know what you think, but I'm gonna be honest, I don't care. I Googled it, I looked it up. Cereal is technically a cold porridge, and porridge is by definition a thick super stew. So, you can argue all you want. Cereal, it's a soup. That's hot take number two. I still hold that one. But hot take number three, I'll be honest, I held to it for a long time, but I've started to humble myself and accept that I'm wrong. Hot take number three is this. Instruction manuals are for people who don't enjoy the thrill of risk in their life. I hated instruction manuals. I still hate them, but I kind of see the necessity. You know what I'm saying? Like, Who uses an instruction manual for a shelf? Like, we were trying to put up a shelf in my apartment, and there's like six pages to be able to put a shelf up on a wall when it's like, here's the wood, here's a little peg, and then you hit that in the wall. Like, I don't need that, right? But one summer, I spent the summer flipping houses with my dad. And if any of you have gone into like home improvement and stuff like that, you know that instruction manuals are kind of things that you live or die by sometimes. You could spend an entire afternoon trying to put something together, all to realize I forgot one piece. So, my dad over the summer had me set up ceiling fans. That was the thing he had me do. He was like, Bro, any room I repaint, like do the ceilings. He's like, You're gonna do the ceiling fans. It's gonna be great. And it was hot garbage. It was the worst thing I've ever done. Because, see, every single ceiling fan is like unique in its own way. There's like one little piece of every ceiling fan that's different. And that by itself, not too bad, right? Like, you can probably figure it out. You could probably, whatever. But the worst part is ceiling fans run all on electricity, right? So you got to get that sucker up on the ceiling and like plugged in before you know if you set it up right. So I've taken down way too many ceiling fans because I was way too prideful to actually go through and read the instruction manual. And I was like, you know what? All right, I'll give this one up. I started to give it up. But instruction manuals can actually be pretty important, right? Two weeks ago, my wife and I were coming back from Mexico and I was sitting in the exit row. You know, your boy's 6'3", so you got to get the X zero when you're flying. And I realized I've never in, like, once in my life, read the instruction manuals for how to open the emergency door if our plane went down. So we were flying over the Gulf of Mexico, and I was like, dude, if this went down, like, we'd be in trouble. Like, I told the flight attendant I could do this, but I'm in no means, like, capable. I have no idea how to do this. So I was looking at the door, trying to figure it out. Ended up looking at the manual. Pretty important, Right? Now, why do I tell you all of this about instruction manuals? Because Galatians 6, where we're jumping in tonight, is like Paul's instruction manual for the whole letter of Galatians. So Galatians, if you haven't been here, is a letter that was written by Paul to a people in a region called Galatia. And while he was writing to these people, they were believing some false teachings that were being taught. And last week, Eric did a really good job of talking about how we've been actually set free from those false teachings. A lot of the people that came in were Jewish Christians, and they were saying, hey, if you want to be, really be a Christian, you got to follow Jesus and you got to follow the law of the Torah. And he's like, no, dude, like you're free. You've been set free in Christ. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. And he's saying, in our freedom, we're able to walk in step with the Spirit. We're able to walk in step with God. Rather than gratifying our own desires and our own flesh, we're able to go and gratify the Spirit. We're able to walk in the Spirit. So that was Galatians 5. That was last week. This week, we're in Galatians 6. So I saw a lot of your heads go down. Hopefully, you're turning there. Galatians 6, while you're turning there, if you haven't yet, Galatians 6, like I said, is an instruction manual. It isn't a new law of requirements and how to get into heaven, but it is an instruction manual for how to follow Jesus practically in the community that we live in, okay? Okay? So, with that as a little preamble, I want to give you guys Galatians 6. It'll be up on the screen, but if you don't have it, or if... Yeah, Bible as well works. Cool. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work... And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. But let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not grow tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. I love this section. I love it because it's hyper applicable, right? It doesn't take like a seminary degree to go through this passage and be like, man, what does God really want me to do here, (laughs) right? But the thing is, with the things that God is asking us to do in these two sections, there's a lot of ditches that you can fall into on either side. So In the spirit of Galatians, we want to define what the true gospel is here. And so I came up with a little succinct statement, and we're going to unpack it throughout the night. I'm going to give it to you right up front, my bottom line. So if you guys are note takers, here it is. The true gospel is a gospel of gentle restoration and generosity. The true gospel is a gospel of gentle restoration and generosity. So to start unpacking that phrase a little bit, we got to talk about true gospel. What is true gospel? Well, put super simply, the gospel is meant, or is the the true gospel is the gospel as it's meant to be followed. It's not like a perversion of the gospel. It's actually the gospel as it's meant to be followed. That's how we're using it here. So look with me at verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Great. But I think to really see the significance of these verses, I actually kind of want to look at the inverse. Because like I said, there's some pretty big ditches that we can easily slide into if we take these verses just at face value. If we're not really careful to try to honor the Lord with our actions, we can actually fall way into sin when we're trying to correct a brother and sister that we've found in sin. So the first ditch that I want to talk about tonight is condemnation. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to a group of believers in Galatia. So when he says these things, he's not saying like, bro, go back to your tent shop, and when your unbelieving friend uses the Lord's name in vain, light him up, call him out, right? Like, that's dumb. That's not what he's asking you to do. Instead, Paul is asking you as believers to call out the sins of your believing friends. Like if your believing friends are caught in a sin or if you see them do something, be like, go to them in gentleness, in the spirit of gentleness and try to restore them. That's what Paul is saying. So think about it like this. I wanna imagine like a scenario in connection group, right? The people in your group for the most part are at least trying to follow Jesus. Maybe not perfectly, right? There's a lot of sin confession that happens, but they're at least trying. So what do you do when someone comes to your group and they confess a sin like this? they say, man, me and my girlfriend or boyfriend, we went way too far this weekend and we feel terrible about it. In this passage, if you're heaping shame on top of this person be like, yeah, dude, you like blew it, you're totally missing the point, right? What he's asking us to do here is to speak with a spirit of gentleness to restore our brother and sister. See, gentleness is essential. If you read Galatians as just one reading, in chapter 5, the section right before this one, it talks about gentleness and self-control. Verse 23, it's, the, it's, one of the, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So gentleness is essential. And Salt Company, it's pretty sobering, but I'll tell you what, when people have been hurt by the church in a way where they don't want to come back, it's oftentimes because their sin has not been met with a spirit of gentleness, but a spirit of wrath or of condemnation, or of judgment, or of whatever else in its place, it was not a spirit of gentleness. So we do have a responsibility. You must restore your brother and sister, but if you're not doing it in gentleness, man, watch out. That's a slippery slope. So that's the first ditch. Let's talk about the second ditch. The second ditch is a ditch I've found myself in sometimes. It's the ditch of passivity, Read verse one again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, do what? Give me a little talk back. Do what? Restore. Y'all hear this loud and clear. You need to have gentleness. But if you see a brother or sister in sin, you have to restore them. You can't ignore them. You hear that? (laughs) Restore them. Don't ignore them. What do I mean by that? Think back to that friend and connection group. Person who goes, we're, we're gonna change, we're gonna change their confession a little bit. Have them go, man, me and my girlfriend, we've been doing so good with purity. We only had sex like twice last week. I see some smirks. Like, I know it's kind of a silly situation, but that's been like confessed to me before. That's a moment in which there's a slippery slope on either side. Because it's pretty clear. The Bible says that God isn't for that. Like, and we know that. And so what we have to do then is try to wrestle through how we're going to either restore or ignore our friend. We're not gonna go down this slippery slope of ignoring. We're gonna try to restore. So 1 Thessalonians 4, three through eight says, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor and not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means that one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses as we've also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So if you just went up to somebody, they confess that to you and you just rip out this scripture and you're like, boom, this is God's will for your life. Are you responding in gentleness? No, absolutely not. But for you to not have this in your mind when your friend confesses that to you is also falling off the slope in a different direction. We have to be able to stand for what the Bible stands for. We have to be able to bring our brothers and sisters back to a place of restoration in their relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, they're gonna be choked out by their sin and maybe not even know it. If your answer to this is wow, great for you dude. However you want to live, God loves you man. Get in the word. <laughs> Read God's word. See what it requires of us. See what it looks like to follow Jesus. Or if the response in your heart is like I want to say something But I know if I do, they're gonna be mad or that they might hate me, or I just, I know that I'm gonna maybe sacrifice this relationship, but like I know that God wants them to do. If you got that kind of wrestling going on inside your heart, take heart, take courage. Restore a brother and sister in gentleness. This gentleness piece is key. So I wanna give you guys three hyper practical tips on how to restore a brother and sister in gentleness. Because this whole gentleness piece allows for a lot of that conversation to happen without the sacrifice of relationship. So here's our three questions. They're super, super important. The first one is this. Do you want to follow Jesus in your situation? You walk into a conversation like that and if your first question is, dude, do you, do you wanna follow Jesus in this conversation, like in this situation? You're gonna have a way different conversation with this person because if their answer is no, then you're just like, I mean, cool, love you, dude. (laughs) You know, like, you don't have to have this kind of confrontation. There's a whole nother thing that's going on there. If this is a person who claims to be a believer and they're like, actually, I don't wanna follow Jesus in this situation, right? There's a whole different conversation. You don't have to try to risk your relationship on this tiny nitpicked sin over that. But if they say yes, this goes to question number two. Question number two is, do you know what Jesus says about your situation? I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life where I have fallen into sin after sin because I just didn't know what was wrong. <laughs> when I first started following Jesus, there was a ton of stuff that I did with my friends in high school that I didn't know that I couldn't do anymore. I was just having fun. I was just in the moment. I didn't know that what I was doing wasn't actually glorifying God, but it was actually taking glory away from his name. I didn't know what Jesus said about that situation. And if a friend came to me and was like, do you want to follow Jesus in this? I would have been like, heck Yeah. And if he's like, do you know what Jesus said about this? I'd have been like, heck no. I'm like, teach me, help me, right? So what that does is it opens a door for you both to be on the same team. Because a lot of times when we have these kinds of restoration conversations, it feels like it's either me versus this person and their sin, or it's me and this person versus their sin. And the only way that you can get on the same team with that person is if you enter these conversations as a listener, and not as a speaker. So, question number 3, told told you I had three. If they don't know how to follow or don't know what Jesus says about the situation, great, we're going to teach them. If they do, you still need a third question. Cuz you still don't want to go to someone who knows how to or knows what Jesus says about it and be like, "All right, then go and do it." Cuz they're still missing a piece, right? The third question is simple. Do you know how to follow Jesus in your situation? Now, these questions aren't from me. They're keystones. I don't want to take credit, but they're super, super helpful. Do you know how to follow Jesus in this situation? Man, for a lot of us, that's probably where we get hung up. That's where I get hung up all the time. I'm constantly asking people, I'm like, man, how do I follow Jesus in the middle of this new marriage thing? I got married in November. There's so many things about marriage I don't know. And so I'm always asking people, I'm like, hey, how do I, how do I love my wife following well this way? How do I follow Jesus? You know, asking the how is great. where my mentors could have just come in and been like, dude, you're not doing a good job of loving your life. Do better, you know, and like never giving me a how. So the how is super important. And I want you to see this because when someone gets confronted about their sin and they know they really want to follow Jesus and they know what Jesus says about it, but they're just tangled to a point where they don't know how to stop. A lot of us have been there and a lot of us know the shame and the guilt that can pile up when you're in that position. So this spirit of gentleness is super important to try to restore a brother and sister because that's what will really help them get back on the track and get their relationship with the, get their own heart back in line with the Lord's heart. So those are our three questions. What I want to be really clear is that I didn't give you statements. Remember, we want to be listeners as we walk into this question or into into these uh, conversations. Because if you're able to ask questions and clarify situations as you walk into these conversations, it'll be you and your friend versus their sin, not your friend and their sin versus you. Sound good? Great. The true gospel is a gospel of general restoration and generosity. So we're breaking down this phrase, right? We got part one down. It's true, it's a general restoration. Now we're going into generosity. We're going to... Uh, verses six through 10 says, let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. Like I said, true gospel. It's a gospel of gentle restoration and generosity. And here, verse six, Paul's pretty clearly instructing, be generous, right? He says, uh, where were we at? He says, the one who is taught the word, share all his good things with the teacher. These good things, a lot of commentaries believe, is like genuinely anything at your disposal, your resources, your time, your money, your possessions, your influence, like what do you got? What are you going to leverage for the kingdom? So, at this time, we're going to start passing around an offering plate. And so if you guys want to take out your wallets and give the biggest bill, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No, we're not going to do that. It's not a sermon about tithing. It's a sermon about leveraging your resources. I don't I don't care if you give your money here tonight. But what I do care is that you use what you have for the kingdom of God, okay? If you feel called to give to Salt Company, you totally should. Y'all, it costs money to put stuff like this on. So really, if if you call Salt Company your home, if you call Keystone your home church, you should consider partnering with the church financially. But even outside of these walls, I want to talk about that. Because I think what Paul is asking for here is actually way bigger than just what's in your wallet. Paul is actually saying in verse 10, if we jump down to the bottom of this section, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity. There's no cap on that. <laughs> There's no, as, as you've got, you know, the money in your wallet or whatever. No, he's saying as you have opportunity. He's like, it's broad. Whatever you've got, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. So Saul come to the question is, where do you have the opportunity to do good? Where can you give? If you're anything like me in college, you're probably broke. <laughs> I was broke in college. I spent way too much on my wife, but it was great. It was super worth it. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, maybe that's your situation. If it is, what do you have? When I was in college, I had flexibility. I had time on my hands. I was able to leverage it so that I never had class on Friday. So I went to school up in Iowa State. Like I said, I went to Cornerstone. And one of the things we did was we were able to partner with public schools. And I went and read with kids. And I just showed them Jesus by the fact that I was willing to be there for them. My actions were things that I was able to leverage for kingdom impact. I was, able to have corner, I was able to be a part of allowing Cornerstone Church to have a positive impact in their community. So think about it. What do you have that you can leverage in a way that helps the kingdom? Because what I saw as I was serving throughout college and doing those things was what the therefore in verse 10 is actually there for. Look with me in verse 7. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not grow tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Y'all, serving the Lord is a spiritual discipline. And that's what my eyes were open to, is that it's a spiritual discipline that deeply deepens your relationship with the Lord. It greatly deepens your relationship with the Lord when you give all that you have for the kingdom of God. It's a common theme in the Bible that when your heart is drawn to the Lord, the Lord draws near to you. This concept that Paul is talking about, it's actually probably not just Paul's words. Maybe he owes Jesus a little citation here. This is from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Paul's saying here. He's reiterating, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? That's the question. You want your heart to draw near to the Lord? Where's your treasure? Where's your time? Where's your money? Where's your finances? Where's your possessions? How are you using your apartment? All these things. What are you using to leverage for kingdom purposes? Are you spending your resources in a way that would reflect your love for God or your love for the world? An honest question for your heart. So, practical application of this. Hopefully your heart has got no place for like, yeah, I want to be able to use my gifts and things for the Lord, right? I hope your heart's in that spot. We are constantly praying at this church. It's every single day, 10.02. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. God, I pray that you would raise up laborers even from this room, genuinely. Our church has countless opportunities. There are so many things you could do to get involved in serving, and it doesn't just have to be leading a connection group. Like, if that's not your jam, like, we need people to... Freaking grind beans on a Sunday morning, right? We need people to make coffee. We need people to say hey to kids as they walk into Keystone Youth. We need people in the nursery. We need people on safety team, on tech team, on slides. Whatever your gifting is, whatever God has given you, use that for the kingdom. We have opportunity. Talk to somebody. If that's what you feel called to, man, talk to somebody. Get involved. How many of y'all love Salt Company? Can I see a raise of hands? Great, there we go. Go Bears, right? Is that, did I do it right? I don't know. Go Bears. Um, guys, I know you don't have a lot to give. I get that. But he who is faithful with little is faithful with much. One of the best money tips I got is from my dad. Thanks, dad. I think he's watching the video. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I feel awkward. Whatever. <laughs> um, one of the best money tips I got was from my dad. And he said, learn how to spend your money before you have money. So it was a, it was a habit in my house that whatever I got, I gave 10% to God. So when I got a job, I was like, man, only 10%? Like, and that's the gift that my dad gave me. That came from a life of learning how to use my money before I had money. So while y'all are here in college, before that big paycheck comes, learn how to use your money. Whether or not it's here at Keystone in this church or whatever you want to do, be generous. Leverage your resources for kingdom purposes. I'm not going to tell you that if you give Salt Company $10 that God's going to bless you financially. I want to make that clear. That's not the way that God works. But I am telling you that if you go all in for the kingdom of God, you will reap eternal life and the spiritual joy that comes from that no matter what your circumstances are. Read verse 8. Because the one who sows to his flesh, what will he reap? Destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. From the Spirit, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So Saul Company, don't go tired of doing good. I know a lot of y'all, and I know a lot of y'all got ambition, and I love that. I see the hunger, and I love it. Don't grow tired of doing good, for at the proper time, you will reap what you have sown. So, the true gospel... Is a gospel of gentle restoration and generosity. And I wanna be clear. Tonight, we're not just teaching on good principles that help out our community. Yeah, they are good principles and they do help out the people around us. But we actually get that idea because we serve a Savior that's filled with gentle restoration and generosity. You see that? Jesus himself said in Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Y'all, that is who Jesus is. That is at the core of who Jesus is. Gentle restoration and generosity, that's our king, that's our savior. The cross of Christ is the pinnacle of gentle restoration and abundant generosity. And if you've been around the church for a while, that might actually sound kind of silly, right? Because you remember what happened at the cross. You know what happened at the cross. It was by no means gentle, right? but that's the point. It wasn't gentle on Christ because he could be gentle on us. See, the cross of Christ, it wasn't a picture of gentle restoration and generosity because of what happened to Jesus. It's a picture of gentle restoration and generosity because of what it means for us. Jesus was beaten, mocked, and scorned, and killed, not because of what he had done, but because what you and I have done. That is a gospel truth that I pray never grows deaf on your ears. I pray it never grows deaf on my ears because he could have come and sent every single sinner straight to hell, all of us straight to hell, but he didn't choose to do that. He chose to come and be a savior. When he deserved a throne of gold, he chose a cross of wood. You see what I'm saying? Jesus chose to come and to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He showed us the good news of gentle restoration through the giving of his life. And if that was it, that would be something enough to praise God for each and every single day of our lives. Just for us to be restored into a good relationship with him, that would be enough. For us to be peasants in the king's palace, that would be something to praise him for. But he doesn't stop there. See, three days after Jesus died, he rose to life again. Not just defeating death, not just accomplishing all the things that he said we'd accomplish, but also purchasing us a spot in his family. We are now co heirs with Christ. You hear that? You are royalty to the king of the universe if you believe in Jesus. There is nothing more generous than a gift like that. So when we talk about gentle restoration and generosity, and we talk about the true gospel, look to Jesus. When you're thinking, man, how should I leverage my resources? Look to Jesus. When you're thinking, man, how should I (laughs) restore my friend? Look to how Jesus restored you. Die to yourself. Be a listener, right? The reason that we can restore in gentleness is because we've been restored in gentleness. The reason we can be generous is because Christ was first generous with us. So, if you don't know Jesus in that way, and if you've never accepted the fact that he took your place and wants to gently restore you into relationship with him and generously give you the keys of the kingdom, then talk to someone tonight. Please, don't keep living your life without having taken hold of the gospel. The true gospel is a gospel of gentle restoration and generosity. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful. Jesus, for the sacrifice that you brought. God, you are uh, everything that we cannot be. Jesus, you, were, you lived the perfect life. You lived a life that I never could live and you died the death that I deserve 10 times over. And God, I am so, so thankful that you've come and you've died for us. Jesus, you were the perfect example showing us how to live lives of gentle restoration and generosity and so God I pray that you would use whatever words you gave me to speak and whatever was Zach speaking in this conversation God I pray you would take it from people's hearts. God we love you we praise you we long to serve you and be with you. In your name we pray. Amen.